you have just made the best decision of your day by choosing to listen to the Holistic Bitches Unfiltered Podcast with me, Leslie Rubinoff, the OG Holistic Bitch. You're guaranteed to laugh, have a what the fuck moment, and truly be inspired to change small things in your life that will have you reaping the rewards of living a truly holistic life, mind, body, and soul. Welcome back to the Holistic Bitches Unfiltered. I'm your host, Leslie Rubinoff, the OG Holistic Bitch um, and the Holistic Health Genius. And today we have such a fun conversation because if you own a vagina, as my guest would say, this podcast is for you. We're going to talk about all the vagina things, vagina, pussy, however you want to say it. That's what we're going to do. And uh, I'm so excited to have Kim here. Um, and I, I might say her last name wrong, but you could, you could yell at me later, but it's Kim Vapony. 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 And she is a self-professed Kegel maven and is known as the vagina coach. She is a certified fitness profession professional who became passionate about spreading information on pelvic health after the birth of her first child. She's also an author, a passionate speaker and a woman's health educator. Her most recent book, Your Pelvic Floor, launched in March 2020 and was on the bestsellers list. Pre-orders launched in January. And Kim is also the founder of Pelvini Wellness. And that's a company that offers pelvic health programs, products, and coaching for women in pregnancy, motherhood, and menopause. And Kim also certifies other fitness and movement professionals to work with women with core and pelvic floor challenges through her core confidence specialist certification program and her pre postnatal fitness specialist specialist certification. Um, so I'm so excited to have Kim here. Kim, welcome to the Holistic Bitches podcast. Thank you, my friend. Nice to nice to chat with you. Yeah. And you know, the first time I heard Kim say, I've heard her say many things, but the one that struck me was like, if you're a vagina owner, um, there's a few of us that exist. So um, first of all, Kim, why don't you just sort of tell people a little bit about your background and then we'll kind of dive into the vagina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, so I'm a personal trainer and, and I have been passionate about health and fitness my whole life. And it was when I was, you know, I got married, I decided I wanted to start a family where I started to really think about my pelvic floor. And it actually wasn't the first time I thought about it when I was a kid. I thought about childbirth and I was afraid of it and I was afraid of tearing and it was always something that I wasn't going to do. But then again, I did, I got married to my husband, decided I want to start a family, but I was determined to have a different story than my mom who had shared her birth stories with me. And she'd had tearing and she'd had incontinence. She had surgery for that. She had a hysterectomy for heavy bleeding. And it was sort of this picture of pelvic health that wasn't really painted in a, a, you know, rainbows and unicorns way. So when I was now pregnant, I was really determined to make sure I had a different story. And so began kind of an education on my myself and what could I do? My midwives had told me about a biofeedback device called the Epino, which is manufactured in Germany. And I purchased one of those and I had a really good experience and then said, why the hell doesn't everybody know about this product? And contacted the company and asked if I could be a distributor here in Canada. And that was meant to just kind of be a little side thing. And really was the catalyst that is now brought me to where I am 17 years later and having been preaching pelvic health all along the way. So um, I I started out with an e-commerce store with that product plus others and grew that. I formed a second business with two other women called Bellies Inc. where we were trying to opt- optimize postpartum recovery. And then as we were moving through, we created a certification course and then um, our our own bodies, we were going through transitions now getting close to perimenopause, menopause. I'm literally uh, about three weeks away from my official one day of menopause and um, recognize that this is a conversation that needs to happen through all life stages. And so I combine fitness and lifestyle education and help women navigate all the stuff that we really should have been told at a much younger age and we're now dealing with, um, but I want people to know it's never too late and there's all sorts of things you can do. Yeah. Amen to that. I think the thing when it comes down to, right, we always hear knowledge is power, but knowledge is only as good as you apply it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that's really important and that's why there's so many, you know, of us out there trying to spread that and to help people apply stuff. So 
what is a vagina coach? Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's not something I grew up thinking I would ever become. That's for sure. But um, it so I when I recertified my fitness. I I had been a personal trainer for many years and I got out of fitness. And then when I was recertifying, I was focusing in prenatal postpartum. That was the population that I was really trying to reach. And uh, so I'm a, a personal trainer and a lot of what I do is kind of coach people through movement. And then I was actually initially my brand or handle, so to speak, was fitness doula because I had trained also as a doula. And because I was working primarily with pregnant women and new moms, that was that was the kind of the name that fit. But again, as I kind of moved through different stages, doula didn't necessarily resonate quite as much. And one day I was in Toronto, I was speaking to uh, a group of women, it was the mompreneur conference, and there was about 300 or 400 women in the audience. And I stood up to present my talk on how to optimize your pelvic health to become a better mompreneur. And when I got up on stage, I always usually crack some sort of a joke and all the speakers up to that point had been some sort of a, you know, a coach, like a business strategist or a marketing expert. And so I joked that I said, well, now you have a vagina coach for your business. And when it came out, it was meant to just be a one-off joke, but it was sort of this light bulb moment. And I said, that's it, vagina. Vagina is a word nobody likes to say. It's a place that there's all, all sorts of shame and taboo around. And we always hush, hush, hush it. And uh, it's, that's what I'm going to call myself. I'm going to try to normalize this, this word that makes everybody so uncomfortable and probably is part of the reason why it contributes to so much of this, uh, lack of information and lack of awareness. And so that's, that's what a, a vagina coach is. I, well, it's, and it's just me. <laughs> no, that's not true. There's, there's so many pel pelvic health professionals. I'm the only one that uses that term, but there are, it's actually a, a hashtag. If you go to social media and use the hashtag pelvic mafia, you will find a whole host. We will often, the, us pelvic health professionals will often use that hashtag as kind of a, a collective introduction of all the amazing people that help with regards to pelvic health around the world. A hundred percent. And it's something that I find that has become almost like trendy, like pelvic mm -hmm. for specialists and, you know, what to do before you know, you give birth and after you give birth. So you yeah. definitely want to talk about the importance of pelvic health. Mm -hmm. So maybe what does that kind of look like? And, you know, what can a pelvic floor specialist provide for, for, for a woman? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot more people talking about it, which is really good. However, just like anything on the internet, it can also make it a kind of confusing place sometimes. But at least the fact that the conversation has started and people are talking about it is 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 making tremendous change in so many people's lives. So the we all have a pelvis, whether you have male or female anatomy, and we have a group of muscles that close off the base of that pelvis that attach to our tailbone, attach to our pubic joint at the front, and attach to the bones in your bum, the the sits bones. And that group of muscles has really important jobs. They manage our continence. So they control whether pee, poo, fart stays in or comes out. And they support our internal organs. So from a female perspective, bladder, uterus, rectum are the main ones. They play a role in our sexual response. They play a role in our pelvic and spinal control and stability. So core, we've all heard of core fitness and core function. Well, the pelvic floor is the foundation of that and has been left out of the core conversation. And it also, the pelvic floor works in, in synergy, kind of in coordination with the diaphragm, our breathing muscle, and it acts like a bit of a sump pump to kind of move things around uh, and, and keep things moving. So these are all really important jobs that we've never really been told about. And usually the conversation of pelvic health comes into the picture around the time somebody gets pregnant. So over 80% of women become pregnant at some point in their life, and then it's usually, oh, well, make sure you do your Kegels now. And while that is better than nothing, Kegels are not the end-all be-all. They are one form of pelvic floor exercise. They certainly do not solve all problems. Um, and we need a much broader, bigger conversation around what exactly it is that we need to be paying attention to, not only through pregnancy, because there's also 20% that never become pregnant and they can still experience pelvic floor challenges 
often due to hormone or due to lifestyle habits or due to falls on their tailbone or other surgeries such as hysterectomies that they may have along the way. So there's important jobs that are influenced by a whole bunch of things throughout our life. And it's something that we deserve a lot more information and education on. Right. And what do you, what would you say, like you give, give like three or four tips for pelvic health, what would they be? One thing is my number one all the time is to see a pelvic floor physical therapist once a year. And I think that we need the same PR that the dentists have. Sure. So I often say that, you know, we've been taught from a very young age to brush our teeth and and floss and see a dentist once or twice a year. And we go, even if we have no toothache or any other symptoms, we just go for our checkup. And I think we should be doing the same thing with our pelvic health. Pelvic floor muscles are inside where we can't necessarily see them. And early stages of some challenges often don't have uh, symptoms or they're kind of symptoms that we can sort of brush aside or not equate to anything related to the pelvis, such as low back pain. And uh, so if we were, again, taught from a young age about the importance of this group of muscles and that once we become sexually active, it's important that we see this professional who helps evaluate and kind of keep everything in check to make sure the muscles are working and they're doing their jobs and that they can also screen for things like incontinence or organ prolapse that might start to interfere with our life. Even So pain with sex is something that's really super common and pelvic floor physical therapy can make such a huge difference in a short period of time and, and eliminate that problem. So number one thing, see a pelvic floor physical therapist once a year. You can go to Google, put in pelvic floor physical therapy in your city and, and ideally find one who's close to you. So that's my number one. Number two would be... Uh, Stop listening to the ads on TV that tell us that light bladder leakage is just part of being a woman. It's not. Light bladder leakage is called incontinence. It can happen to anybody. Women are at a greater risk, but it can happen to young. It can happen to middle age. It can happen to older. It can happen to people who've never been pregnant before. And a lot of time it is lifestyle uh, lifestyle habits that people have adopted that can sometimes create an issue. So one thing, so this is kind of my next tip, is drink two, very minimum, at least uh, I'm closer to about three liters of water a day. And a lot of people restrict their fluids because they might be leaking or because they're afraid that they're going to have an urge that they're not going to be able to make it to the bathroom in time. So they for, therefore, they stop drinking or they restrict their fluids to a certain period of time. And they're often becoming dehydrated. The urine becomes more concentrated it irritates the bladder and it actually starts to signal you more often, which means that you're going to be visiting the bathroom a lot more and it's not going to be solving your, your leaks. So see a pelvic floor physio, stop listening to the TV, drink lots of water throughout the day and be aware of bladder irritants like artificial sweeteners, um, dairy for some people, alcohol, caffeine, those can all irritate the bladder and actually contribute to some of the symptoms that you could be experiencing as well. And, um, and then the final thing is if you have low back pain, see, go back to tip number one, which is see the pelvic floor physical therapist. Over 95% of women with low back pain have some form of pelvic floor dysfunction. Wow, that's interesting. I've, I've had three emergency surgeries, but so far, my vagina seems to be a happy vagina, but <laughs> I'm de- I'll definitely take you up on go see a pelvic floor specialist or physiotherapist at least once a year. Um, so, okay, so let's talk about, because you, you brought it up, I, I want to talk about prolapses. I want to talk about, you know, the, the term, let, let's talk about the term that post-baby leakage or even you know, leaking for a woman who've never had kids. Cause like you said, not yeah. everybody has kids. And yeah. I also want to look at like, ask you about like bladder inflammation as well. Yeah. So, so incontinence is where urine leaks out of the body when you don't want it to. And there are a couple of different forms. So you can have stress urinary incontinence. And this is the one that the pad companies are essentially marketing to you for. So it's where little bits of urine leak out with a laugh, cough, sneeze, or jump. So some sort of exertion happens and your muscles 
can't close off the opening in time or with enough force to stop the urine from coming out. Super, super common. Statistically, it's uh, you know, somewhere in the mid to high 30%. I think it's a lot higher than that. Those are reported cases, but a lot of people just think it's normal. So they're just putting up with it and not telling anybody. Mm-hmm. So that's stress urinary incontinence. Urge incontinence is where you could have a full release of your bladder just from a trigger. So all of a sudden you you have a sudden overwhelming urge that you need to make it to the bathroom right now. Alarm bells are going off and you may not make it in time. So there could be a little leak or it could be a complete release of the bladder. You can have a combination of those two. You can also have anal incontinence. So that would be where gas or stool leak out. And uh, that statistically is a lot much, uh, uh, a lot less, but it's obviously much more life altering if you have gas or stool leaking out. And so that's from a urinary um, and and fecal side of things. That's what incontinence would be. There's also prolapse, and that's where the bladder, the uterus, and or the rectum shift out of their optimal anatomical position, and they start to bulge into or descend into the vagina. And statistically, prolapse is quite a bit more common than incontinence. So usually it's about 50%, one in two. And there was one piece of research that was looking at women at six weeks postpartum who, and it was closer to 80% of those people had some sort of prolapse. And that makes me kind of angry because why is nobody screening for that and giving people direction on how to heal and how to return to fitness Um, I I think there's just such a lack of care and information provided to people. And prolapse is one of the ones that's much more devastating from a mental health perspective. Incontinence, Mm -hmm. it's all kind of, you know, people joke and laugh about it and they put their pad on and they carry on, but you can, you can kind of carry on and no one really knows. Prolapse, no one really knows either. However, you, the, the constant symptoms you have, the feelings of being broken, feeling like you can't exercise anymore. And often stopping exercise, stopping socializing, stop your sex life, all sorts of things come to a halt out of fear and out of shame and out of embarrassment. And we could do so much better in terms of um, prevention from these for, for, you know, it was nothing we could do at 100% present, prevent, but there's a lot we could do that would significantly reduce the likelihood of somebody experiencing this. Uh, and then you had mentioned inflammation in the bladder. So a, a common... I wouldn't say it's, and I actually don't know the statistic now that I'm saying that. It's not super common, but it it's a lot more talked about now is called IC or interstitial cystitis. Yeah. That's a mouthful yeah. to say all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this also can be called painful bladder syndrome. And it's where people have a constant need. They feel a constant need and urge to pee. And sometimes it can be very painful. Uh, so you, so people can be, it's like, I have a, a, a friend of mine, actually, she was a previous coworker and, and, um, every 15 minutes, an overwhelming, like sense that she had to go and not very much would come out, but she could never overcome that. And she traced it back actually for her to one significant event where she had to go and she was stuck on a bus and couldn't get off, um, so she was doing some mental health work, but also some nutritional therapy and also some pelvic floor physical therapy. So pelvic floor exercise and physical therapy can be super, super helpful in people who are dealing with inflammation, painful bladder, IC conditions. Mm-hmm. And so for, for women, okay, so just so I understand. So whether you've given birth or not, the main cause or let's call it the root cause of leakage is a prolapse or something else? Uh, No, the, the actually prolapse can sometimes hide leakage. So if you have a, if your bladder is bulging into the vagina, it can sometimes lead to things like incomplete emptying. um, But also the bulges can sometimes press on the urethra, which can sometimes block incontinence. So when somebody actually gets their prolapse, either through exercise or surgery fixed, the it can unmask incontinence that has always been there. It just, they didn't have an awareness of it. So incontinence is muscles that their timing is off. So they're not reacting to, they're, they're not able to do their job 
with with the right reaction time or and or with the right amount of force to close off the openings and so little bits of urine can leak out so this is stress urinary incontinence but it can also be from muscles that have that are too tight muscles that have more activity like overactivity in them can also contribute to incontinence which is counter what pe- people don't think that that's the case they think i need stronger muscles i need to do more kegel exercises because i'm leaking but if their muscles are already prone to holding on to more tension they actually would benefit more from learning to relax those muscles so that that group of muscles then isn't stuck in a partially contracted state and isn't overworked and isn't tired and isn't achy. If you can think about like, if I, so wherever you are right now, put your right arm down at your side, just let it hang straight down. That's your optimal resting length of your arm. If you now bend your elbow 90 degrees and you have, you know, your arm is bent and pretend you're carrying a bag of groceries on there and you walked around like that all day, even without the bag of groceries on, even if you just walked around with your arm bent all day, it would get sore. It would get yeah. tired. And my half of my range of motion has been used up. And now if I needed to do something, if I needed to lift a bag of groceries, or if I needed to move my arm, it, it would be a little slower to respond because it's been worked over, over time all day. Part of the force has already been taken up by that bend. And so my reaction time would be less and I wouldn't be able to lift or do as much with that arm. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. So it's similar to the pelvic floor and it just needs to be retrained. Uh, We need to build up some strength and resiliency and suppleness, which is the relaxation piece of the pelvic Mm -hmm. floor. So we need a balance between yin and yang. Okay. So basically we need to work our pelvis pull this out. Yeah. And we need to, so again, kind of back to Kegels, as I referenced early, a lot of people have heard the term Kegel or Kegel, and that is a form of pelvic floor exercise. And yes, we have research and evidence to support that Kegels can work when they're done correctly, when they're done consistently. I take it one step further in that we, we, to train the pelvic floor optimally, in my opinion, we need a whole body approach. We need to sure. bring that awareness into movement to train the pelvic floor dynamically. Because most people sit at a red light and do Kegels or do it while they brush their teeth. But things like incontinence and urgency are not happening while you're standing brushing your teeth, most likely, or sitting at a red right. light in your car, right? Right, right. So if you had to say so, some ways to kind of obviously this is your work, but like just some yeah. tips for, for those listening, if they want to, you know, stop the leakage besides working with obviously a pelvic floor specialist, what else can be done? Kegels, people can practice Kegels, but what else? Yeah. So I, I do something, I teach something called the core breath. This is available on my YouTube channel and okay. um, it's a simple, it's, it's essentially a Kegel coordinated with the breath, but it brings the awareness to the fact that it is part of the core And it's about finding different cues that help people access that group of muscles. Um, You know, sometimes, you know, do a Kegel isn't helpful for people. And we have research even to show that over 50% of people do them incorrectly because no one's really taught them or evaluated how, if they're doing them correctly. Right. Um, But another piece of it is posture. So how people hold themselves, hold their pelvis throughout the day. And a lot of times, like this past two and a half years, what have we done a lot? Sat in front of a computer and sat on Zoom calls and we've become a much more sedentary population. And when we sit in, uh, ideally we don't sit all that much, but when we do sit, if we're sitting in a more tucked position, meaning our tailbone is kind of underneath us, our sacrum and our tailbone are sort of underneath, that puts First of all, it puts tension on the tailbone and on the SI joints in the low back. So that's a big contributor to low back pain, mm-hmm. which also then is closely tied to the pelvis, but also those that group of muscles I was talking about that like to be at an optimal resting length so that they have all their force available to them and they aren't overworked. If we sit with the tailbone underneath us, it draws the pubic joint and the tailbone closer together. So those are two attachment points of those muscles and contributes to a shortening in that group of muscles, which then again, over time creates tension and uh, lack, like less ability to relax the pelvic floor. 
So how you hold yourself is really important. So when you're sitting from a, if you have a vulva, when you're sitting on a chair, you should feel those two bones in your bum. If you can't pull the flesh of your butt cheeks away so you can kind of dig in there and feel them. And then your vulva should be on the surface of your chair rather than your tailbone. So that's another thing that I would do. I I talked about drinking water. I talked about bladder irritants. And um, the other thing would be have sex. So sex is good for the pelvic floor, whether you have a partner or not. And especially as we get older, so as we're getting into our 40s and now we're in the kind of the perimenopause phase, and then we menopause average age 51.4 years of age, and then beyond that would be postmenopause, we have changes to the walls of the vagina due to the uh, reduction and then um, ceasing estrogen production. So we like estrogen in our pelvis. And when we don't have it circulating anymore, once we are reaching menopause, the walls of the vagina are searching for it, but don't get it. And they start to lose some of the kind of the juiciness, the suppleness that they have and can offset that with pelvic floor exercise, which we've talked about. We can offset that with uh, sexual activity and that so whether you have a partner or not, something that can be inserted, so dilators or toys, fingers, um, reaching orgasm. So we have um, blood flow circulation, beneficial for the pelvic floor. And then also estrogen, local vaginal estrogen is really beneficial as well as vaginal moisturizer. And if you're going to choose a moisturizer, I like the one at moisturizeyourvagina.com. It's a hyaluronic acid based one. And uh, I, just like we must put moisturizer on our face and use hyaluronic acid products on our face to keep things moist and supple, we deserve this and need the same in our pelvic floor. Yay for wet vagina. Uh, <laughs> Kim, I have a question. So when you're talking about orgasm, so a lot of women don't even know their ability to squirt. Do you think that has a lot to do with pelvic strength? It can. I wouldn't say that I'm an expert on that. Um, it's something like I, a lot of people have worked with a sex therapist um, who can help them explore that or a sexological body worker who can help explore that. I wouldn't say that if they have never been able to squirt that it's something that they do have a weak pelvic floor. I wouldn't, I wouldn't correlate that mm-hmm. um, personally, but I think that it is something that is accessible if people want to go there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just curious. Um, okay. So let's, let's move into prolapse. Prolapse is yeah. like all the rage. It's all the confusion. Explain it like, and how they occur because there's also different forms of prolapse. Yeah. So there's, and there's also different names, which can also make it a little bit confusing. So the vagina, if you can imagine the vagina is, is like a, tube. So imagine the arm of your sweater, like a vagina. And at the top where your hand is kind of peeking out the top of the, um, the arm there, you would have your cervix in your uterus. And then on the uh, side where the palm of your hand is, that would be where the bladder is. So it's kind of on the anterior wall of the vagina or, well, it's not on it, but that's where it's kind of positioned. And then the rectum is on the backside. And in the case of a bladder prolapse, the bladder can bulge into the front wall of the vagina. So if you had your hand through your sweater and you use your left hand and you sort of pretend there's like you're pushing into the palm side of the, the sweater, that's creating a bit of a bulge. It's also called a cystocele. And it can also be called an anterior wall prolapse. So that's three different names that could be attributed to a bladder prolapse. And the uterus is typically called a uterine prolapse. Some people may refer to it as a womb prolapse, but most often it's uterus. And then in the case of the back wall of the vagina, if the rectum is bulging into the back wall, that is called a rectocele or a posterior wall prolapse. It's not called a rectal prolapse. It's a, a rectal prolapse is where the rectum can bulge out the anus. And that's something that could happen to men or women. And early stage prolapse is often asymptomatic. So if there could be a tiny bulge 
uh, a tiny kind of shift of the position of that organ and people wouldn't even know. It's not, it's, it's asymptomatic. They have no idea. There are some people that could have very significant symptoms with that. There are also people who could have a bulge right at the entrance, entrance to their vagina and they ha- have, they have no idea. So symptoms do not indicate severity or the stage of, of a prolapse. And in North America, we grade it on a one, two, three, four. So a grade four would be where there is a visible bulge that is bulging outside of the entrance to the vagina. So it kind of looks like a scrotum outside of the vulva is, is what it would visibly look like. You can imagine how life altering that would be and how uncomfortable it would be. Uh, stage three would be where there would be an entrance right at. So if you kind of parted your lips right at the entrance to the vagina, you would be able to see or feel a bulge right there. Stage two where would be where it's about two and a, two centimeters ish away from, uh, sorry, two inches away from the entrance to the vagina. And then a stage one is again, just kind of a tiny little bulge. So part of the reason why I feel so passionately about pelvic floor physio is because they assess for this and they can screen for it. So if there is that tiny bulge and that person is made aware, they then know what to do to potentially even reverse it. So when you catch especially a bladder and a uterine prolapse early on, you can often reverse it at the very least improve it and prevent it from getting any worse. But without that information, then there's many people that, you know, it's, it slowly develops over time. And then one day they, all of a sudden they feel something happen or they wipe and they feel a bulge there, which can be really, really scary. Sure. And so, um, so prolapse is t- statistically again, more common. Uh, it's very common. I've experienced a uterine prolapse and a rectocele, and I was able to reverse my, uh, uterine prolapse. It was a stage two. I was not able to make any change to my rectocele. So after nine years, I chose to have surgery. And that was about a year and a half ago. The thing I want to mention about surgeries, because a lot of people have surgery for prolapse. There are people that have surgery for incontinence. There are people over 600,000 in the US who have a hysterectomy every year for various reasons. And it is often not communicated to people the importance of putting the pelvic floor muscles in the best state possible prior to surgery and also the importance of pelvic floor exercise and a gradual return to fitness afterwards. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who think that having surgery, because it eliminates the bothersome symptom, that it has now, you know, quote unquote, strengthened their pelvic floor. So surgery can fix anatomy to some extent, but it will not strengthen that group of muscles. And if the person, uh, if part of the reason why that problem developed in the first place was because the muscles weren't optimized, the likelihood of recurrence afterwards is very high. So um, if you have a prolapse before you go down the surgical path, make sure again, you're working with a physical therapist and also trying something called a pessary. So pessaries are kind of like orthotics. If you think of orthotics for your, for your arches and your feet, a uh, pessary is similar to that where it's inserted into the vagina and can provide support to the organs that are shifting out of position. And they can also allow the muscles to then work better as you're doing your pelvic floor exercise. Yeah. And you know what? I'm so glad you mentioned it because it was actually one of the questions that I was going to touch on is that just, we have to like slow down on the culture of cut out the body part to make the yes situation better Um, and you kind of just touched on that and it's important like women think removing their ovaries and their uterus is like a winning situation there's probably almost less than five percent of people who really need to have that out whereas the rest of them could work root cause and fix the problem yeah um you know I, i find it interesting too is and i don't know i don't know kim's background and you know the emotional connection or the ties to the uterus um and the vagina and that whole sacral center mm-hmm. but you know kim i assume you've seen thousands of people throughout your career do you find commonalities between these women who have a lot of lack of self-love self-worth abandonment issues um and just a lot of self internal stuff that's not worked on as well mm-hmm 
Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, again, that's out of my scope. So those are things that if it's coming up in my consultations with people, I'm referring on to for for deeper support there. However, what what I find is the it's um it's an acceptance. It's it's a it's a lack of trust almost in their body and sort of mm-hmm. a it's like um putting the having blame uh, you know, this happened because of this and there was nothing I can do about it where I, I don't feel like they've given, been given an opportunity to uh, have all the information to make a choice. A lot of people regret. So once they meet me and say they've had a hysterectomy five years ago, I'm just say, and they, they meet me because they now have another issue. And when I talk about things like you just said, root causes, they've never, they were never even given those options before. They just were told this is what has to happen. And then they go into it. They don't even know what type of procedure they had. They didn't know about pelvic floor physical therapy. They didn't know of the increased risk of other types of prolapse after a hysterectomy. So everything they then learn after they say, I probably would have made a different decision had been told all this. Um, So what I see most is there's there can be a lot of regret around the uh, the removal of their uterus, especially given that they it often uncovers other things. So as I mentioned before, sometimes people have a uterine prolapse, they have a surgery for it, it then uncovers incontinence. And because they haven't been doing pelvic floor exercise, because they now have had a surgery, there's some scar tissue in there and they haven't they weren't doing it afterwards either, the the muscles are deconditioned and that scar tissue can sometimes hinder function. So it's not, it's not insurmountable, but again, they've, there's, there's layers and layers of suffering that have happened. So many years of suffering leading up to it, leading, uh, suffering during suffering after now, because they thought they were home free and now they have something new and now they get into menopause. Now they have vaginal dryness and it's just, you know what I mean? It's all these layers of, of, um, shame of resentment of anger that's that's the emotion that i see most commonly in the people that i work with uh yeah and i i totally get that but i always come back to as well like every physical thing has an emotional component to it as well so yeah i think that's relative and it's, it's important um what, what are some early like warning signs or symptoms of prolapse Low back pain is one. Um, that's really commonly early prolapse. It's less likely that that is happening, but it could be. So low back pain is definitely one. Another could be when people are kind of like, ah, something just, I just feel like I have something in my vagina. It feels like I've got a tampon that's maybe not sitting properly. Um, difficulty starting the flow of urine, difficulty emptying where, and this could be uh, bowels or bladder where you sit down and you, you know, you you and then it stops and you stand up and you're like, oh, I feel like either some dribbles out or I feel like I need to go again. And you sit down a little bit more comes out. Um, constipation, pain or discomfort with sex, especially in certain positions. So again, that could be dependent on the type that you have. Rectoceles uh, typically would be less likely to have any discomfort if you were on your back, but if you were upright or on all fours, it could potentially be. And then the opposite would be true for bladder prolapse. Uterine could be any, um, any positions and, um, uh, kind of feeling of heaviness and dragginess. So they will often say, you know, towards the end of the day, I get really achy. I feel like I need to sit down. I really need to put my feet up. Uh, putting my bum up on pillows really helps. Those are all very common signs. If somebody is still bleeding, then, difficulty inserting a tampon or they, they feel like, you know, they can put it in, but then it sort of gets pushed out or sometimes even pushed out upside down so that the the tip actually comes out again, or the menstrual cup doesn't sit like it used to, or doesn't, doesn't get the same seal or I I feel it. Um, So those would all be common signs. Okay, great. Um, You know, another thing which you've kind of, again, you've, you've talked about it, but you know, vaginal dryness, um, Mm -hmm. for people, both peri premenopause and menopause Mm -hmm. and postmenopause, um, it's a thing. And I know hormones play a big role in that. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
what could be, I know you talked about the vagina moisturizer, but Mm -hmm. what other tips for women who aren't yet in menopause, but for both? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, so again, if we had, if we were told at a younger age, kind of in that perimenopause, what what even is perimenopause? So the six to 10 years ish prior to menopause is, is perimenopause. There will be hormonal fluctuations. There'll be changes to your menstrual cycle. You may notice some changes with regards to comfort with insertive sex. You could notice some dryness and irritation. And vaginal moisturizer is something I think everybody would benefit from using. Um, So that would be one. Also, again, um, staying sexually active, whether it's with a partner or not, but something that keeps the blood flow and circulation going there, pelvic floor exercise, foods, lots of foods that so flax seeds, anything that can be uh, like phytoestrogens that can help with the um, kind of replacing what we're not producing as much in our body. Um, and and relaxation and release. Um, I call it muff meditation sometimes where you're you're releasing your pelvic floor muscles and allowing some energy to come back. So sometimes even you know, like uh, some people who have challenges with orgasm or achieving, you know, having um, any form, not not any form, but challenges with pleasure during, during sex can be, it can be emotional, it can be that stuck tension in the pelvic floor. So working on um, physical relaxation, so physical release of those muscles with I've got a few different videos on my YouTube channel that people can look at while whether it's listening to calming music, whether it's listening to some sort of meditation, um, whether it's just sitting in complete silence and just connecting in with your body as to what it's doing and how your pelvic floor is working in synergy with your your breath during that time um, can be really, really helpful as well. And does another question is, because like I know Kim, you're in Vancouver, right? Correct. So does, can you work with people virtually or does there need to be a physical aspect to and component to that? I only do virtual actually. And I, so I have online programs, I have an app and I work virtually with people one-on-one. The, so pelvic floor physical therapist, they, that's where I recommend you go for the internal evaluation and treatment. And then you support your ongoing pelvic health with whole body exercise and movement. And that's kind of where, where I come in. During the pandemic, though, it was really interesting because obviously we couldn't see anybody in person and a lot of pelvic floor physical therapists transitioned during that time to offering virtual appointments, whereas before it was considered almost like it's impossible. But what happened was the physical therapists were meeting with their clients online and because they weren't able to obviously touch or um, evaluate or assess in any way, they were walking their patients through how to do it on themselves, which I thought was really interesting because it's, it's, it takes the level of control, even puts it more into the person's hands. It's very empowering when you, um, when you can feel, so you're not relying again on just what somebody is telling you. There is absolute value in having somebody else who can access and know how to, for instance, release some adhesions in scar tissue. But that that was a really interesting transition that has happened. So that is still available from many practitioners as well. And there are also many tools available for people that may not be able to geographically, financially, uh, whatever reason may not be able to get in to an in-person therapist. There's so much that can be done without. Amazing. And tell me a bit about your app. My app is called the Buff Muff app, and it was um, it was something that people had asked for for a long time. So I, I used to run a 28 day challenge through another another app, and and people loved it, but they that it ended, and so we, it was like we need to have more of what you do in the in something that I can have in the palm of my hand wherever I go. So it's a it's it's an, a little bit of education, uh, a lot of exercise and movement, a lot of nutrition guidance, a lot of lifestyle guidance. And I also have, uh, I call it my vagina village where other practitioners who offer their expertise, because it's not just, it's not just Kegels. It's not just the Buff Muff app. There's so many other practitioners that can help. And when people are introduced to the fact that there are so many other 
um, therapies and opinions and people out there, then again, it puts them more in a position of power to first of all, know they have choice and then be able to start exploring with a little bit more knowledge about all the ways that they could potentially get help. Amazing. And Kim, what would be, I have two questions. What would be, what's the most favorite aspect of your work? What's, what's my most favorite aspect of my work? Yeah. Um, well, just today. So I got a, a message through Instagram of uh, a woman who she had read about my surgery and my rectocele surgery. There's a, there's a lot of people's um, surgery. I have nothing against surgery. Um, and there's a lot of shame associated with the pelvis already. And then you add on the additional layer of, of prolapse surgery and incontinence surgery. And there's a whole other um, element there that people navigate. But this woman had reached out to me after hearing my story of, of sharing my rectocele journey and surgery. And um, she's actually local in Vancouver as well. But she, she went through my program and found one of the, the doctors that I have included in there. And she went to see him and she just wrote me today and said, I've just had my surgery 10 days ago. I want to thank you for your program because I keep referring back to it and all of the sensations and all of the little subtleties that you shared about your recovery that are helping calm my, my fears. And so when, when people, when people reach out to me and share stories that they are feeling more confident, that they, they, they are feeling supported, um, that they are grateful that somebody shared, because some of the stuff I share, I think, oh my God, like I talked about my butt. I talked about hemorrhoids. I talk about like, it's not the most glamorous, sexy stuff I share, but at the same time, it, it has helped so many people. So that the fact that me sharing and being vulnerable has helped somebody is it confirms why I continue doing what I do. Amazing. And yeah, no, listen, like there's always a place for Western medicine, right? Even as someone in the holistic space, like there are times and reasons for Western medicine and, and feeling comfortable as long as you're finding and done your research about who's doing what to your body, it's totally yeah. okay. So I yeah. think I understand that shame component and, and people thinking that, you know, surgery is a failure, but it's what actually can move you forward into your success and into your healing. So it, there's so many different angles um, yeah. to look at that for sure. Yeah. Um, and, um, and and like you said, it was something for you. It really benefited you and it, it, it helped and it took you a long time to make that decision. Yeah, there was, it, it took me about, <clears throat> it was probably a four year decision. And I actually had had surgery booked twice and canceled it because I felt the shame that a lot of people do. And especially being a pelvic health professional, I was like, well, how can I go have surgery after, you know, I'm supposed to be helping people avoid surgery and I'm supposed to be helping this. And, and, uh, and also I, I hadn't totally addressed my root causes yet either. So again, I had, I feel fortunate that I had the knowledge to, to do that. Um, and then after a while, it was just, it's just like, no, this is surgery is the right option sometimes. And we, as if you're going into it, very informed, if you've kind of calmed your nervous system, if you've prepared your body, if you've prepared for your recovery, then you're going to have a better outcome than the people are, uh, who are going in completely uninformed and now have another problem afterwards. So that's kind of now part of my, a new part of my mission is really to, um, to help people navigate that process, whether it's for hysterectomy or for incontinence. And ideally they would have tried all the other things first, but at the same time, there's also people who don't want to do the work. Fine. I, I would disagree, but, um, but I'll, I'll still support you through it because it's your choice at the end of the day, as long as you have the information and that's still the choice you want to make, that's your choice. hundred percent. And, you know, the last question I'll ask, and, and we'll definitely link all of Kim's YouTubes and all of her links and her programs in the show notes so you can find her um, and her Instagram. Um, what is, what would you say is something you wish you knew when you were younger, like in your 30s? Oh, God, so much. <laughs> like, um, I guess because now I'm in the, in the, I've been, you know, navigating the whole transition into menopause and m all of my forties, pretty much uh, I could say that entire decade, I really struggled with uh, like every, everything under the sun that's associated with perimenopause I dealt with. And 
I didn't know what I know now. So I wish that I had had somebody tell me what perimenopause is and what these symptoms mean and what holistic ways to address them were. Because I, w- I went down a whole path, um, autoimmunity, hormone imbalance, constipation, which ultimately um, exacerbated my prolapse. And I, I didn't know it was a huge contributor to where I ended up with, with my rectocele anxiety for the first time in my life that I'd never had before, difficulty sleeping, like all the things, heart palpitations, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, and thankfully I didn't have, I mean, aside from my, my rectocele, I didn't have incontinence or vaginal dryness or other things that a lot of people can, can deal with. So my pelvic health, I was, I was managing, so to speak. It was all that other layer. It was just, it's just a lot. There's a lot of things that can happen to us as women. And, um, and we just really aren't told that information. So if I would have said one thing, I was, I would have wished I'd known more about the menopausal transition at an earlier age and what perimenopause really was. Amazing. Um, all right. Well, I thank you, Kim, for all I learned something today. I learned a lot. Um, I guess I knew a little bit less about my vagina than I thought. Uh, (laughs) So that's, that's exciting. And I think a lot of women will find this really beneficial. And Kim's Instagram is amazing. Um, So we'll make sure to connect people in. Um, Is there any final thoughts that you want to add? My, my, my parting words are always that you do not need to accept pads and unsatisfying sex and lack of confidence as your destiny and it's never too late to make a change amen and Mm -hmm. also something we should add is that the vagina is a self-cleaning tool self-cleaning oven yep yeah so people often are sticking odd things in there stop putting things in your vagina that are intended to clean it if there's an issue with your vagina we have to fix the root cause not put not put things inside of it so hallelujah and soap you know, yeah. in the vagina with water, like yeah. that's what it's meant to. There, it's not supposed to have bubble florals inside of it. So nope. you can always do a yoni steam, which is herbs, which I'm all for. Yeah, um, but definitely stop putting toxins in your regime. Um, totally. Yeah. Um, all right, Kim. Thank you so much for thank coming, you. and I, I can't wait for everyone to listen and to learn and um, to send people your way um, for vagina health. Thank you so much. Thanks for all you do too. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Bye guys. Tune in for this episode and so many more to come on the Holistic Bitches Unfiltered. Have an amazing day, night, or wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Take care guys. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Holistic Bitches Unfiltered podcast. I hope you got what you came for and you're eager to return for future episodes. My one ask is that you hit the subscribe button and if you could be so kind to leave a raving review. Sending you so much love, light, healing, and inspiration to be a better you. Peace out, friends.